0: story talks back. Almost everything that we remember, think about, or imagine is a story. Stories entertain us, inform us, and even define us. They have upsides, and they have downsides. This podcast explores the power of story in every aspect of our lives. I'm Dave Stanton. Thank you for joining us. Bob Minkin's photographs have documented four decades of rock music with a special focus on blues musicians, the punk scene of the late 1970s, and jam band music typified by the Grateful Dead. He's photographed thousands of concerts, and his work has appeared in countless music publications and books, as well as on CD and album covers. Minkin has published three elegant collections of his images, Live Dead, The Music Never Stopped, and Just Jerry. A graduate of New York School of Visual Arts, Minkin now lives with his family in Marin County, California, and continues to document the music scene there and across the country. It's great to welcome you to the Story Talks Back, Bob Minkin, and uh, thank you for taking the time to speak to me.
1: Thank you for having me, glad to be here.
0: Uh, I want to start out by talking to you about stories and storytelling in your past. Um, you know, I think a lot of creativity can be seen as as different forms of storytelling. And I was wondering if there was people in your childhood um, who were storytellers, or if there were stories that were important to you and your family uh, when you were growing up?
1: Uh, yes. Um, you know, at a young age, I had a, well, first of all, my grandparents um my grandmother, you know, wrote poetry. My grandfather was a writer, huh. uh, a philosophy kind of guy. Okay, they're um, from Europe, from uh, uh, Poland and uh, Russia, and um, so they exerted a strong influence on my life. My grandfather had a library of books and stories, and uh, he liked uh, anagrams and fables. Um, what made a big impression on me as a young kid is I had a fascination with Greek mythology, so huh. I read. I mean, I knew more about Greek mythology probably than any other 10-year-old. <laughs> I nice forgot plan. some of the stuff, but I still, I still dig it. And um, you know, those are lots of great stories and um, fables and stuff like that. So that exerted a big influence. Anybody who knows me a long time knows, knows that part of me.
0: And when did you start to see yourself as a creative person or someone who might tell stories in some form?
1: Well, I mean, I started, I, I was always had the uh, inclination of art, artist type stuff. I mean, I always drew, drew drew pictures. I mean, you know, people know me now mostly as a photographer, but I started out as a painter and, uh, you know, draw and, and, uh, sketches and things like that. Um, so that's really the beginning of the creative stuff. I mean, and, and then... Um, and I wound up going to art school where I painted every day and stuff. And uh, Where did you go? To the School of Visual Arts in New York. Oh, nice. Very nice. But, you know, I went to, you know, summer art series like at, um, at Brooklyn you know, Museum, the Brooklyn Museum, and we used to go to Prospect Park to uh, oh, draw. Great. I used to just take the train from where I grew up in uh, Canarsie in Brooklyn, huh. uh, just by myself as a, you know, 17-year-old, just, take the train into Prospect Park or Central Park and with a sketchpad or I draw people on the subway too. Uh, so that was an outlet for my creativity and then photography started engulfing that.
0: So <laughs> how did that start happening? How did you get get exposed to photography so to
1: speak well my uh, aunt, my mother's uh, sister gave me a Kodak instamatic camera when I was about I think in sixth grade. So I started taking it around the neighborhood and photographing like my neighbors. And then in uh, school, they let you in junior high school, they let you like have a bring a camera to school day. You know, So I started taking uh-huh. pictures of my classmates, and my teachers. And, you know, I always had a, a documenting or slash collecting personality. I mean, I had a super into stamp collecting, comic books, you know. You know, Mad Magazine and all that stuff. I used to draw the pictures out of the comic books and uh, try to make, you know, like framed stories like they do in comics. It's very difficult. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so with the Kodak Instamatic, you know, when I got about um, four, uh, well, when I started going to concerts, you know, this was like a new hobby for me, like just like stamp collecting and building model rockets, you know, going to concerts. So when I was 15, I, one of the first shows I went to was a New Riders at a Purple Sage show at the Academy of Music in New York. And I took my little Kodak with me and took my first concert pictures. I was like, wow, these aren't that bad. I mean, they're kind of laughable now when you look at them, but I still have them. But um, <laughs> but I was like, you know, something for my scrapbook, you know, something that I can put there with the ticket stuff and the advertisement out of the Village Voice, because that's just the way I am, you know, I have tons of that stuff. <laughs>
0: I'm totally the same way.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know what my kids are going to do. <laughs> well, dad has so much stuff. <laughs> so donate it to some music museum or something. I hear you.
0: So, I mean, over the years, you must have sort of gotten a sense of what it is that about a certain framing or a certain thing that you're seeing that makes you want to take a picture or makes you feel that it's, time to take a picture I mean do you have a sense of what that is
1: yeah you know it's hard to really you know it happens without me really even thinking about it especially now since I've been doing it for so long even when I'm driving in my car or well I go for a hike I always have my little my iPhone with me I'm always taking pictures but let's say if I'm driving I'm always looking I always see scenes that um in my mind is a photo because it's a matter of uh like I said, you know, I, I used to draw and paint and study the uh, Renaissance masters. That's like what I used to copy, try to copy their paintings. So they had the whole sense of foreshortening, and uh, you know, the uh, like in uh, photography, we call it a hero image, and then a mm-hmm. the smaller subsidiary image, and how they relate to each other. Like not framing things dead center, but putting things offset a little to add uh, dynamicism and uh, tension to the image. <laughs> So I see that. I just see that stuff now. It's, I guess, just what people who have been doing that or creative people just can't help but to see it. So for example, I'm at a concert. It's almost a second intuition. Like I'd be talking to somebody quietly during a song (laughs) not to disturb the artist or people around me. But then I just sense like something's happening, you know, I could hear it in the music or whatever. And I just whip the camera around and just there it is, you know, like, (laughs) bang. I mean, it's just like, I just see it. Like it's just right. You know, it's so obvious sometimes to me. And, um, and other times I take picture anyway, and I look at it, you know, and I go, nah, nah that one didn't work. <laughs> Do
0: you feel like uh, a successful picture is telling a story?
1: Exactly. Uh, to me, well, using, well, let's say using concert photography as an example, you know, my goal, well, I'm not really thinking about it at the time, but um. Ultimately the goal is to have the viewer like feel like they're there, like they're they can almost sense it. Like I've heard people tell me or comment on the photos that they could hear the music or they feel like it's it's they're there, even mm-hmm. if they weren't there. Of course, if they were there, it's even, you know, it's more special in some ways. Um, and with the landscape shots, it's a shot that makes people like like I'm in the biz- like in the business of happy in a way. Like I want you know, when you see this landscape, it, it gives you, it, it just gives you hope and beauty, like that there is a better thing, you know, out there. So That's interesting. it's the same thing. Like if I'm flying in my plane and over the Golden Gate Bridge area, like I get the Golden Gate Bridge as the hero element and then San Francisco downtown, a little off to the left in the back is the subsidiary element. And it's just, you know, it, it can work really well sometimes.
0: Mm. Um, I mean, rock music itself, how how did you get drawn into being so involved in taking pictures of rock music?
1: Well, like you know, like I said, when I first started going to, to concerts or shows, um, you know, I, I wanted to have something for my scrapbook, essentially, you know. And then I subscribed to, you know, I looked at all the music magazines of the day and saw these incredible photos, and I was like, it's like, wow, I don't know, what I can I ever do something like that? I mean, it just seems so far fetched, you know, uh-huh. and. Uh, You know, nowadays, I'm actually friends with some of those photographers um, of my uh, youth. And um, so, you know, I just really started out as to have a, uh, uh, you know, something for my scrapbook, something for me from memory of that particular event. But, you know, as it went on, just the way things happen, like I met somebody that introduced me to the publisher of this magazine called Relics that... uh, Pub focused on that kind of stuff, you know, the sure, Grateful sure. Dead, hippie sort of music, Hot Tuna, Jefferson Airplane, and all that. Right. And uh, you know, I brought some of my early photos and drawings over to his house because he, the publisher Les, he lived in Brooklyn too, on uh, Ocean Avenue and Kings Highway. Huh. So you know, he was like, "Whoa, these are really good." You know, Hey, we could publish them. We'll you know, we'll pay you you know, fifteen bucks you know for a photo. I was like, "Really." like you'll pay me for this so that's sort of like was like wow you could actually get paid doing this so I just started I mean that wasn't the reason but I mean that just gave me more of an impetus the fact that somebody in a more of a professional capacity putting out a magazine liked the photos enough to publish them so that you know that's a real shot in the arm when you're like 17 18 years old it gives you a big boost you know of confidence yeah to and support it say what to do more of that you know i went out to see the dead at red Rocks, i was like oh i'm going to take a lot of pictures here this is going to be a special place you know if you've ever been to red rocks it's.
0: i I actually was there once i didn't see a show but i just happened to be there during the day yeah and uh jody Mitchell was going to be there that night but i had i had to catch a plane so that was
1: that was you got a sense yeah but you got a sense of the uniqueness of that venue so it's crazy beautiful um
0: It's funny you talk about heroes because, you know, when you think about lead singers and rock bands in general, but particularly the lead singer is such a a hero figure, right?
1: Yeah, the person, you know, like, for example, like, you know, drummers have a tough thing, you know, they're, the light's (laughs) not usually good on them and they got a lot of stuff in the way, you know, so the hierarchy of picture taking, you know, unless you're specifically if it's set up in a way or I have the flexibility I can go on stage and shoot close you know but if you're shooting from the audience like I did as a kid you know it's tough certain you know so the people out front usually the lead guitarist or the the lead singer gets all the uh, you know the light and the focus so
0: and there's I mean there's obviously a story for you as a photographer of each picture and each concert and you know, your experiences, good and bad. I mean, did, did getting the, the special access actually change kind of the whole experience for you? And, and how did that change the, the sort of the story of each concert for you?
1: Well, that was certainly a big boost. I mean, prior to that type of stuff happening, I was just extremely determined, you know? I mean, determined like sleep out all night at Grand Central Station in new york to get good close-up seats right or getting to a concert a day early to get online right stay out all night like you know wait out all night on a cold april night in new york the bottom line to get tickets for you know garcia and saunders there so you know i was determined very determined and i had you know it caused a lot of problems too as a kid you know because i was still in like high school and you know I had normal parents that were not you know like the hell are you doing <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like so you know that caused some issues back then because now my parents are very proud of me. oh you just said you know, yeah I'll well, remember when I was 17 you weren't so proud of me right. so I, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that is, you know my books are proudly displayed on your coffee table but um <laughs> but um you know, there's some key moments that happen in in people's lives that advance them, right? So one was, you know, meeting the publisher of Relics when I was 17. You know, another one was, um, well, I'll skip ahead, but I mean, another major one was uh, meeting the Grateful Dead's publicist, Dennis McNally. Hmm. Uh, My mutual friends, uh, Lisa and Sandy, introduced me to him in 1985. And, you know, he was a gatekeeper, you know? He's a person that dealt with photographers and stuff like that. And most of the time, it's just a one-off thing. Yeah, you know, okay, you could shoot you three songs and that's that. Mm-hmm. But we actually hit it off, you know, like because I worked for the company that published his first book, his Jack Kerouac book. You know, we had certain things, you know, to talk about and stuff. I worked for McGraw-Hill at the time. I was an auditor- Oh, wow. Okay. And, um, you know, and uh, so he, um, you know, really, got the keys to the kingdom in a sense you know he started you know like I said we hit it off and he made it uh, he opened some doors for me and um, you know what that meant was that I didn't have to wait out all night online for tickets you know certain things like that I didn't have to do uh-huh. uh, which I didn't miss and um, and then it led to other things you know in my other life I'm also a graphic just a graphic artist so he opened the door to me for me to become the packaging designer for Grateful Dead Productions for number of years in the early 2000s oh wow yeah i don't really talk about that a lot but that you know like designing an album or cd album for your favorite band you know was always a fantasy of mine as a kid wow you know know, i'm still involved with them they they, they moved that whole operation to la with rhino records but um but Mm -hmm. they still use my photos frequently in their packaging which is cool so yeah dennis was you know you know hero and um There's just certain people you meet along the way that just um, angels, I call them (laughs) angels from somewhere come into your life. And do you remember sort of the,
0: when you, before you had that access, do you remember sort of like the most memorable thing that you did to get a good photo?
1: (laughs) Well, waiting all night online and waiting for hours and hours and hours you know in a crushed crowd to you know get there early and stuff but um you know really like traveling i mean when i was 22 I, I mean i didn't have access to time but i went to europe to follow grateful dead tour so and there really weren't any other people taking pictures on that tour hmm. and they played in some unique places you know that i'm pretty much one of the only people that have photos of some of these things i right. become like stuff of legend in that world
0: wow and apart from your connection to relics i mean what do you think it was that drew you to the dead to that whole scene or those people
1: oh well i mean that all kind of came about you know i was 13 you know i started hanging out with a different crowd and you know getting exposed to music you know, like Led Zeppelin and Allman Brothers, Jimi Hendrix, I mean, I love, you know, Jimi Hendrix was really my first real love of music. I mean, at that point, he had already been gone a few years, so I missed the boat, but but it was just really exciting. I mean, you know, it was boring as a kid growing up, you know, there's not a lot going on. So this was like a real thing of excitement. And I always have like, you know, I always had a big sense of adventure. You know, I always wanted to do things, exciting things. Travel and stuff like that, but as a kid, you know, you really can't—not easy to do that. You know, living Brooklyn middle-class life, and, you know, just visiting your grandparents every weekend, which I wish I can do now. I'd love to do that now, <laughs> but that that boat has sailed. Um, but uh, the music was exciting. The people I was hanging out with were exciting, and the things we were doing were exciting. You know, um, getting high, music, and all that. And the Grateful Dead, out of all of them, I mean, I still love all those bands, but the Grateful Dead had a lot of storytelling. I mean, incredible storytelling that just conjured up these things in your mind. Like they never were very overt in sort of telling you what to think in the song. It's really, they left a lot of it wide open, you know? Um, And uh, it, it, it just filled me with a sense of adventure. So, and, and then when they would, they didn't play the same show twice. That was the other thing I found out that a lot of, artists play the same show (laughs) twice. Uh, When I went to see Jethro Tull two shows in a row, first times I saw it, Madison Square Garden, they played the exact same show. Even with the banter was the same. I was like, what's this, the the same show. I didn't realize that bands, most bands practice, rehearse for a tour and they pretty much do the same show every night. They may move some things around here and there. They do a different encore. I was shocked, (laughs) but the Grateful Dead never played the same show. In fact, in the three shows, you might not see the same songs played, you know, twice. And if they are played, they're played differently. So, so it was just that whole thing when they are playing in other cities. So, you know, as a young kid, I was, I mean, it may not seem a big deal now, but I mean, when you're 16 in New York, going to see a concert at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia, you know, I was like, wow, going to Pennsylvania. I've never been to Pennsylvania. You know, it's just like just an hour and a half drive but i never did it be- never done it before so and that's the same thing like going to colorado or arizona or coming out to california for the first time it was all involved because of the grateful dead and their songs and that sense of adventure you know and the stories they told in their songs about the cumberland mine you know in west virginia or uh panning for gold in the gold rush and song here comes sunshine as a kid I didn't know what that meant I didn't know what they were singing about but gradually it's like oh wait a minute put down pick up the pan don't just stand there dreaming pick up the pan the gold pan you know here comes sunshine the gold sunshine's the gold so you know you, you learn things and um, mm-hmm. figure it out as things go on
0: that's so cool and and the way that they construct the shows different each time kind of makes each show a story
1: right oh yeah no you know like some stories it's some are flubs it's like oh that wasn't that good mm. but, but some are you know at a, at a mid-level yeah that was good and some of the sublime ones so the sublime ones were the reason i kept coming back i wanted mm-hmm. to see i wanted to catch the sublime one and i didn't want to find out that the sublime one happened on the sunday night show that i didn't go to like I went the Friday and Saturday, but I didn't go Sunday. Oh, that was the night that you wouldn't believe it, you know? And I was like, I hate you.
0: <laughs> I've had that feeling so many times. <laughs>
1: exactly. So I had to make sure to go to as many as I could. Because <laughs> I don't want to find out that like, oh, you didn't go that night? You know, anyway, So there's really no other bands that, that are like that, you know? Because if you go see The Who on a tour... They're going to play the same amazing show every night. Like, you're not going to see one night. I don't know if you're really uh, perfectionist, you might hear, well, they could have done Barbara O'Reilly with a little more spark, but, you know, it's not like that in the Grateful Dead or the jam band world, I should say, bands that have followed in their, in their path, that don't have set, set lists, set things that they do, you know? So they really opened up the world for that type of uh, stuff, which now is commonplace.
0: Right. So one of your new books, Just Jerry, is all about Jerry Garcia, your pictures of him. I mean, how do you see Jerry, you know, with, who meant so much to so many people, and died, died so early, um, but did so much? How, how do you see his story?
1: Well, you know, it's an unlikely story because it's somebody who became an unlikely rock star. You know, mm. they, they every, did everything like wrong in terms of the business, you know. Like, for example, with his second, soul, with his first solo album, the second side of it has a lot of kind of far out music on it, like songs like E Bauer and, you know, all this kind of strange stuff. But, uh, the, only, but the only really like melodic song on the second side is called The Wheel, mm. which is a beautiful song plays pedal steel on it it's a wonderful song so the um he didn't have on the album a, a break a song like we could drop the needle for that for the wheel ah. and the record company's like you really we should put a space there so he, people could find the wheel really easy you know mm. like that, they could drop it right on the wheel he's like no no <laughs> like you know things like business related thing, no no or they just did a lot of things so it's it's incredible they they he succeeded, you know, despite himself, you know, despite themselves, you know, he certainly, I mean, he lived from what I understand. I don't, I didn't really know him. I only met him a few times, but from what I've known, he, um, he really just wanted to play guitar and be known as a good guitar player. Mm -hmm. whole cult, you know, God kind of thing. Wasn't really at all. His scene. I mean, and the adoration, you know, was not, you know, it was kind of weird to him. Mm -hmm. It's like, Dude, I'm a guitar player, I'm not a prophet, <laughs> you know. Singing a song, and I'm looking forward to you know having dinner afterwards, the show or something, <laughs> you, know, people, <laughs> you know. But what it means to people, and even myself, is a different thing. It is, it does conjure up that, uh, you know, those feelings because you know, he's the channel, you know, for the words. Let's not forget Robin Hunter,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because Robin Hunter wrote the lyrics that very right. right. sang, you know. right. Gary didn't necessarily write the, the words to those songs. He may have had some, you know, input and changed some things around. But you know, re- Robert Hunter, he was really the uh, core behind the Grateful Dead because mm. all their big songs, he wrote the words to. I mean, he was. I mean, in 1970, just think about it. 19 the short time period in 1970, he wrote like Uncle John's Band, and uh, you know. Uh, dire wolf and i mean all, uh, ripple i mean he wrote all these songs in a short amount of time that of the pantheon of american you know music right i mean it's incredible and jerry garcia was the uh, the channel to bring that out to the world those words combined with the music and his guitar playing you know his guitar playing had the dynamicism again it's uh the space between the notes was just as important as the notes the silence be- you know the ups and the downs the the slow part, building slowly into a first climax, then dropping down, then into the second, you know, it's, just, it's, uh, you know, it's incredible. There's nobody like him. I mean, you know, you know, there's Eric Clapton and uh, Santana and uh, all the original blues players that uh, they all copied from, you know, Albert mm-hmm. King, and Freddie King and all that. But, you know, having your own voice, creating your own unique style and sound, it can be instantly recognized as not an easy feat. And Jerry sure did that.
0: Did you have a sense <clears throat> when you were photographing him of sort of trying to get behind the myth or trying to help people see him as something besides just this legendary adored
1: figure? Well, you know, I mean, I only really, I mean, I I try to put photos up that are not uh, in a negative light of somebody, you know, you know, because that's just not me. Some people do it, you know, Some Mm -hmm. people they do that. They don't have a problem with that. I sort of do. So there were, I mean, I like to, I like getting smiles of Jerry, things like that. I mean, that's the way I like to remember it, but as a documentarian, of course, I have lots of, other photos ones i've never posted like i've shot jerry a lot in 1984 in 1984 he didn't look so good
0: mm-hmm. and
1: even in my book and just jerry you won't see any pictures from 1984 hmm. you'll only see one from 1995 hmm. Because it's um i mean i'm a fan too i'm not doing it for the necessarily for the public you know right I'm doing it for myself and uh the fact that people dig it is a, is a bonus you know but um but if you're hoping to see certain photos, like you're not going to, you're not going to see those types of photos. Mm. You know? But, um, but I did one time when I did get to have a solid hang time with Jerry, I was with my wife at Laguna Seca. I asked him, he was in a pretty chipper mood. And I asked him, so what's it like to be Jerry Garcia? <laughs> well, because, you know, there's you, you're, you're a person like anyone else, but then there's this, jerry garcia right right it was funny like i said to him do you wake up in the morning and slip into jerry garcia pants zip up the back you know okay now i'm jerry Garcia. he was cracking up you know
0: did he have an answer to that
1: you know i can't remember exactly the conversation i wish i had a tape recording of it but you know we had him for almost an hour to ourselves before the people sort of started hovering around and moved in on it but um but uh, the fact that I, I, I felt afterwards, I was a little bold to ask that question. What's it like to be you, Jerry? Well, actually he was telling me stuff like on stage, you know, the dynamics between the band members, how they try to trip each other up or mess with each other. Really? <laughs> like, really? That's what I said, really? Tell me more. So he goes, well, you know, they'll, they'll change stuff on me and see if I'm like, you know, gonna follow along with it or something like that. I'm like, wow. Ah. So there's this whole little, not war, but a whole thing going on on stage. And sometimes, you know, I used to notice that from the audience. But um, but hearing him say it, you know, gave uh, gave truth to those uh, thoughts. Nice. Because like like unlike most bands, you know, they didn't really play from a set rehearsed thing. So there were like one band members moving into some sort of song, and then they'll see if people are taking the bait. Maybe not. You know, we call that a tease. Like, wow, it sounded like they were going to do, but then you know somebody else weighed in have more heavily on something. No, let's bring it over this direction. See, that's the kind of stuff that people that don't know much about the Grateful Dead don't understand, you know, they don't know that kind of thing. And that's exciting for an audience, for somebody to see all that occur to them, rather than, you know, a highly polished show. Like, like if you're going to go see a Broadway show, it's going to be the same show somebody saw a month ago, exactly the same. And it should be, you know, that's the way it is. But in adventurous music, um, you know, it's uh, not that way. <laughs>
0: it's controlled spontaneity.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they had some things, you know, some, some uh, what's that word? Um, formulas, you know. Right, right. They could fall back on or go into, you know, like we all do. We all have, you know. Things like that. But um, but to answer your question about getting behind Jerry, I try to capture the essence of a person's, you know, personality and subject. When somebody's looking at them, they see things in it that I don't see, you know. Mm. That's what I like. You know, I don't want it to be literal. You're like, this is it, this is what you know. People conjure up when I uh, all kinds of stories behind the photo. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, you're making all that up over like a sixtieth of a second. His expression that happened to be at that 60th of a second, you're making a whole determination. On what's happening uh, at that time,
0: right? And that always amazes me. Well, you yeah. see that in the news, you know that that a, a certain photo will show a certain expression, and they'll put a they'll put a big meaning behind it, and
1: uh, they'll put a. It's just an instant, exactly like you know they'll show like um, you know somebody looking angry or thoughtful or befuddled or happy to just uh, you know to picture the article to go with the article for the right. article talking about, but you don't really know what they are thinking right. or anything. Yeah.
0: Um, another thing I, I find interesting is your kind of immersion in your own community. And uh, you have another book uh, about Marin County and the music scene there. And I'm sort of wondering how, how do you feel that the place has influence? The music there. I mean, is there some connection between
1: the music that's made there and the actual geography or landscape? Well, you know, as it happens, a lot of the bands that I like from the you know the '60s era, a number of them happen to just be born here. Mm. They could have been born in Athens, Georgia, that has its own scene, or in Austin, Texas. Then I'd probably be living in Austin, Texas, or something. But as it happened, they grew up in the Bay Area meaning like the Jefferson Airplane, Janis Joplin, Quicksilver Messenger Service, Grateful Dead, and a number of other bands, you know, Obie Grape and Blue Cheer and stuff like that, bands that aren't really as uh, well-known today uh, in most circles. But um, so it happened to be here. So as a kid growing up, San Francisco became a place, you know, like that I had to visit. This is where the sea happened, you know, the whole Hate ashbury thing. So when I came out to visit, um the other thing about this well the other thing about this area is it's beautiful i mean it's a beautiful Mm -hmm. area visually Mm -hmm. aesthetically you know it's a progressive area too it's very um you know uh, on the democratic spectrum of things you know i mean and uh i don't really think of it as left i mean i'm not a communist (laughs) but it's uh some people might say it's in that direction and um which fits me just fine. It's also at the forefront of, you know, healthy eating and active lifestyle, things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's just where it happened. They happened to be born, a number of them and where it all coalesced into, you know, sixty Summer of Love and all that stuff. So, um, so you know, Marin County, a lot of the band, a lot of the musicians ultimately moved out of the city and into Marin County Mm -hmm. and that's where they lived and played. So, You know, when I created this book, you know, it's uh, basically Music Never Stopped, uh, Marin County's music scene. I think what's happening, I mean, the the main focus of the book is what I call the current renaissance of music in Marin County, which is basically the the rebirth of the Sweetwater Music Hall in Mill Valley Mm -hmm. and uh, the creation of Terrapin Crossroads in San Rafael. Those two events, those two venues, which are located maybe 20, 25 minutes apart. Mm. Um, have really to me made Marin a place that years from now people are going to look back on and go wow remember when I mean hopefully it won't be like that hopefully it'll still be happening but you know be like wow remember when Phil's place opened up and all that stuff was going on so I wanted to really document it but I, I started the book in the 80s when I used to come out to visit and then uh, continue right on up until when the book came out around 9, 2017 so, you know, it's just a fact that there's a lot of creativity in a small area. I mean, Marin County is not that big. We're, we're the, I mean, there's a lot of open area parks and stuff, but, but like the central corridor, where most of the population is, San Rafael, Nevada, where I live, and Mill Valley is really a very compact area. And there's a lot of musicians live in that area. Mm-hmm. I mean, David Freiberg from the Jefferson Airplane, he lives five minutes from my house in Nevada. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Greg Olman even lived here for a while. I saw him on the street once, like <laughs> I thought I was hallucinating. Greg Olman, what are you doing here? Yeah, he lived in Nevada too for a few years. So it's just a number of things, but I think it all comes down to geography. To just happen to be born here.
0: Do you, you hear know? connections between the current bands and the older bands?
1: Well, there are. The people like I mentioned, David Freiberg, he plays in a band in a Jefferson Starship type band band. Uh, with um, some other, you know, younger people, you know, and uh, I mean, Grace Slick doesn't do that stuff anymore. You know, She's right. retired, but uh, but yeah, a lot of the uh, cats from the beginning, you know, from the early days, uh, they, they do still play. I mean, Taj Mahal comes through and I mean, you know, these names like, oh, wow, you know, that person. And, um, so that still happens here on a regular basis. In fact, the last time I saw Greg Ullman play, he was a Terrapin, he, huh. he was there, he was here, I don't know what he was doing in San Francisco, and um, he must have been out here for something else. But he was having dinner at Terrapin that night. I was photographing the David Nelson band in the what they call the Great Room, but in the <laughs> bar restaurant area, somebody told me Greg Allman's here with his wife, and I'm like, he is. So I walked wow. out into the restaurant. You know, he's unmistakable. And then I'm wondering like. Is he going to play or something? Because the bar has a bandstand where a band was playing. Yeah, so he joined them and actually played.
0: Uh, so things
1: like that, like magic events like that, are like almost commonplace here. It's, yeah. it's 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 crazy.
0: But Marin is also, I mean, that's a fairly well-to-do community, right?
1: Yeah. Well, it wasn't always that way. It used to be a place where, um, you know, um, musicians could afford to you know, struggling musicians could afford to live in the seventies and stuff. But over the years, it's became extremely affluent. I mean, I'm lucky I'm here. I mean, you know, I'm just a middle class <laughs> guy, but, you know, <laughs> just like Brooklyn, Brooklyn. Well, Brooklyn's gotten, yeah, even, you know, those Brooklyn's gotten pretty, pretty high end too. Um, so, uh, so but yeah, it is an affluent area. there's no mistaking that. I and mean, it's, um, it's tough to, um, establish yourself here you know economically if you just come in here you know without
0: it so obviously you know covid has had a huge effect on the music scene and uh, must have had a huge effect on what you've been doing because yeah you take pictures of people and that means getting together with them so how have you been dealing with
1: that well, initially, of course, I was like, holy cow, what am I going to do now? But also the musicians, what are they going to do now? And what are the venues going to do now? I mean, right. we, we can't lose that stuff. can't lose the, the musicians or the venues. And, um, you know, it's a big fear. But uh, luckily, um, the, the community has been very supportive. I mean, I'm, I'll talk about that for a second. I mean, the musicians have been doing these, you know, online stream type performances and you tip them, you know, Venmo right. and stuff like that. Right. So, you know, I regularly, I don't always have time to watch it, but I just contribute anyway, you know, because I'm able to. So I contribute to all the musicians and um, and the venues, like Sweetwater, they pivoted, they became a non now, hmm. a nonprofit group. So they can, that opens them up to certain kinds of funding that is not available if you're a for-profit so they're going to survive they they have a consortium of partners and um sweetwater will be back i dropped by there the other day just to look at it and i saw workers in there doing stuff so that was oh. like, yeah. oh, nice so sweetwater um will definitely be there terrapin as well terrapin has been shuttered on and off so they've been doing these like socially distanced shows but they're you know they're they 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 are expensive and small amounts of people but they have to be that way because there's no other way to do it you know if you're having a place at, with 15 percent capacity the ticket price is going to have to be higher so right. that shuts out people of course but you know what this all makes lets the place survive so when it comes back and things can hopefully go back similar to where they were in terms of concerts um, they'll be there and then people can enjoy them like they usually do uh, in my case uh, that Well photographing music came to a crashing halt, of course, and I pivoted I put more energy into uh, creating a like a store website for my prints, which has been successful. Uh Um, And um, and I've been photographing other types of things I've been doing. Uh, I'm a pilot. I have an airplane. Uh, I have use of an airplane. I don't own the airplane. Wow. And a friend of mine owns the airplane. But So I do a lot of aerial photography. And, and that's been received well you know, in the, in the world. So I've been doing that. And um, also other types of photography. I've just been putting more energy into. I just did a shoot with the Surgeon General of California last a week ago today. Hmm got hired. That's a pretty high end shoot. She's a pretty, uh, she's, you know, the Surgeon General of a, you know, of an important state in the country, you know, she's female, woman of color, you know, there's a lot of eyes on her, you know, and, uh, and I got referred to do that job. And uh, so that that was worked out really well. And I pivoted into my graphic design business, getting that more, you know, cause a lot of people wanted to upgrade their sites. People have time to think about things like that and to move their own businesses and things, their online presence became more important. Mm. That's why I came in to help them. So it's an adaptable, you know, you need to adapt to do things, you know, I mean, I'll be photographing a dark star orchestra in May. They'll be back and I'll be fully vaccinated. Yay. Cool. And um, they're playing a show socially distanced show down in uh, Santa Cruz area. And I think more and more of those things are gonna start to happen, you know, and things are gonna get back to that. So I think the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter and it's been a long haul for a lot of people, you know, but you know, the community has support, has pretty much been supporting the musicians by donating to them and uh, helping them out and uh, Mm -hmm. keeping the venues alive. Have you thought about
0: how artists like musicians are gonna process this experience and, and what it's gonna create, what it's gonna result in?
1: Well, that remains to be seen, you know, it, it had a heavy effect on them because initially they would, you know, that's what they do. You know, that's, that's it, right. There's, right. there's no pivot, there's no pivoting really, you know. Right. So um, they're getting out of it altogether, but um that remains to be seen, you know, to some established artists, you know, I guess I wouldn't say use the word easier, but it's been a, like, for instance, you are McAlkinen, Singer airplane, hot tuna. He has a really well-regarded stream every Saturday night. I and mean, right. it's really well-produced. Right. You know, Cause they have a little venue and their property in um, Ohio, at the fur piece ranch. So that's been, the musicians like that and all the others really have been like a, a life preserver to the people who need music. I need music, right? We, we live for it. And the musicians, uh, instead of pivoting into something else, I'm using the word pivot a lot. Sorry. It's uh, <laughs> okay. Changing into something else, stuck it out and are playing for people. You know, some might be making some money, some may not be making so much money, but they're doing it and doing it for themselves, and doing it for us. Mm. So Yorma doesn't necessarily probably have to do it every Saturday night, but he does. Right. Uh, Bill Kirchin from Commander Cody's band, he does a wonderful Friday night show every Friday night. Mm. And um, Roger McNamee from uh, Moon Alice, he doesn't really economically need to do this, you know, but he, but he, he plays every single night. He's done, he's done some sort of music every single night of the pandemic. Wow. With band with either with moon alice or Doobie decibel system or some other conglomeration of music, musicians that he put together right and they play every single night so they've done you know close to 400 of them already wow. something. and he doesn't have to do it but sure he wants to do it and he knows he knows the impact and the healing and the goodness it brings to the to people that's why he's doing it and ultimately, that's why all the musicians are doing it. So God bless the musicians.
0: <laughs> right. I, w- I was wondering, you know, when you're you're doing, say, an aerial photo, you know, like a Golden Gate Bridge or whatever, uh, do you think the same kind of aesthetic and storytelling applies? Are there different... Different ways of thinking of a photograph, or is it all sort of the same uh, same approach?
1: Well, ultimately, it's the same approach in, in, in a big picture. It's the same approach. I wanted to, the viewer to feel like they're, they're there. They're either there or they wish they were there. <laughs> Or it brings them a sense of like wonderment, like the world's a great place, positivity. I mean, I'm all about positivity. Yeah, I know there's a lot of negative stuff. You know, I have to do my taxes. I mean, you know, read a a new packet from my insurance company because they changed, you know, there's that kind of stuff. But basically, it's about positivity and the fact that things can be better and greater and just, you know, a better world. So I'm not saying my photos don't necessarily convey all that, but um, but in a big picture, yes, there's technical aspects because I'm not in a helicopter; I'm in an airplane. The airplane's moving along at like 120 miles an hour, so you know I have to maybe make multiple passes. Sometimes it's like ah, it's not working right, or you know the lights glinting in a funny way, and I, I can't get that turn tight enough. I got to come back around, and oh wait, there's another airplane coming. I got to move to the right, things like that. But ultimately, I'm trying to convey the same thing, you know like have this dynamic image that just fills you with a sense of, wow, you know, it fills me with a sense of, wow, I look at it afterwards. I'm like, cause when you're taking it, you're not as, mm. you know, you're doing it, you know, looking at it afterwards, you're like, wow, you should probably go up there and not take pictures. <laughs> just, well, I mean, I used to do, I mean, I did that now. Now I do that a lot. I, I go up on photo flights when the light's nice at the end of the day, and, you know. So that was a long answer to your question. But, no, I liked it. But I think I answered it more or less.
0: I guess um, you talked about storytelling with the dead. I mean, is there any other band that you really associate very heavily with storytelling?
1: Well, yeah, um, another band I do, but you know, they fall sort of in the same ilk as the dead or genre as the dead is uh, the David Nelson band.
0: Which,
1: mm. uh, he's the lead guitar player from the New Riders of the Purple Sage. And their songs are also stories and songs, Sutter's mill, you know, finding gold and not, don't tell anybody, you know, but he told somebody and now everybody's coming to Sutter's mill and the whole gold rush happened and things like that. And um, so the David Nelson band, he's uh, sings a lot of folk folkish songs but then he, they put a psychedelic jam spin on it. So. so that would be my, probably my favorite band to see live, you know, these days. Or okay, day, really? Okay. You know, they don't really travel too much. I mean, they do Hawaii, but they don't they don't come east very often. Unfortunately, but uh yeah, I mean, cuz there's other bands like Hot Tuna, but they're not really a storytelling and such, you know. <laughs> so, I mean,
0: it's funny that uh, you know, this band that was sort of so unlikely the Dead has, you know, even, even after it stopped being, it's still an incredibly powerful presence. And you have all of these splinter groups and, and uh, I mean, do you have any sense of what the essence of that, you know, just sort of, it's almost like a, a life force? In
1: the world. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, Jerry's been gone for 25 years and I think they're more popular now than they ever were. You know, In fact, today, uh, earlier, I just popped on Facebook and I saw that um, Dead and Company, which is the latest incarnation of the dead, right. uh, they uh, their show that they have coming next year in Mexico called Playing in the Sand, sold out. Sold okay. out it's instantly. Wow. Yeah, I see people bemoaning like, what? I, I, how am I going to get, you know? And there's like a wait list and all that. So, wow, right? Right. Wow. Uh, why? Um, well, ultimately, it's the music it's the songs, it's the storytelling, but psychologically it's also the same things that attracted me as a teenager attract teenagers today, you know, because as I think uh, in an interview, Bob Weir said, you know, you can't run away and join the circus these days, right? The Grateful (laughs) Blood is the closest thing you'll have to doing that, Uh, you know, to getting out on the road, seeing them in the Denver and then down in Phoenix and then up in Montana you know in these places running into the same groups of people again and you know you're all sort of in this uh, world and uh, so I think that uh, has a great appeal to uh, people you know people like me that have been there and want to keep doing it and then younger people I run into that are in their 20s that to them it's like why would I want to do anything else this is like fun you know it's exciting i'm like yep that's what it is exciting and fun <laughs> and you know it's a good time and of course it, it, it's all because of the music and robin hunter and john barlow the other major lyricists in the deads their words mm-hmm. that made this all happen and put to the music by jerry Garcia and phil Lesh and bob weir and billy and Nikki and pig pen and yeah like you said, it's more popular now than it ever was. Mm. That and company tour stadiums uh, and they're all all the shows are sold out. Right, right. For a band that, you know, some people say hit their peak decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So it makes me feel good. I didn't follow some stupid thing. <laughs> you
0: invested well, right? What's that? You invested well.
1: I guess so. My time anyway. Right. I mean, yeah, Your energy. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, a lot of energy. So, but it's good because it's still happening. You know, I used to think, "Wow, what happens when it goes away?" It never went away. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so the story, you know, continues, and um, I'm I'm happy to be my little part of it and uh, document it and uh, put it out there. You know, if people want to see more of my stuff. They can go to minkinphotographystore.com and see all my stuff.
0: Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time, Bob. Really appreciate it.
1: It was, was a pleasure. It's great hanging yeah. out with you this morning. Yeah, me too.
0: The Story Talks Back is produced and hosted by Dave Stanton. The music you're hearing now was written and performed by Christopher Daydream. The theme music at the beginning of our show is an excerpt from Play by Merlin Twelfthoen performed by Kronos Quartet as part of their 50 for the Future series. Please subscribe to the Story Talks Back on Podbean and check us out on Instagram. See you next time.